Michael Swickard here with Enchanting Stories of New Mexico, sponsored by the Fresh Chili Company in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Our award-winning hatch red and green chili, boy, it's good, is from locally owned farms in Hatch, New Mexico, the chili capital of the world. Now, if you're a chili farmer or just somebody who likes chili a lot, there is one day that we'd rather not have anytime soon. You know what it is? It's the first freeze. When that happens, all chili growing ends until the next year. For Hatch, New Mexico, the chili capital of the world, the average predicted freeze day is early in November, after perhaps uh, 210 growing days without any frost. Just so you know, frost is what chili plants simply cannot tolerate. So the growing season starts when the freezing days end and ends when the freezing days begin. It's also good to know that all frost is not the same. No, sir, it's not. There is light freeze with temperatures from 32 down to 29, which only kills very tender plants. There's moderate freeze from 28 to 25 degrees. It's often the end of much of the planted vegetation and then severe freeze. And that's 24 and below in your garden. That's the end of it. Now, there's a 30% chance that the date of the last freeze or the date of the first freeze is off by at least a week or more. So it's not exactly, not quite uh, an exact science. There's also, not to make this too complicated, but there's also a duration component to temperatures that harm plants. What do you mean, Michael? Well, how long it stays cold overnight in the fall is just as important. Just drop down to say 31 degrees or 29 degrees for 15 minutes, Not might not have any problem at all. Example, the big Sororo cactus you see in Arizona can live 100 years, 120 years in that environment. Very occasionally, the temperature with a little bit of a snow will drop for an hour or so below freezing. The plant can tolerate that a couple hours only. That's why you never see those kinds of cactus growing naturally in New Mexico. And it helps some of these plants if they are somewhere like this and they are planted next to a brick or a rock wall that catches the sun and has some leftover heat or thermal mass in the wall at night. Well, that might change the ambient temperature just enough to save the plant. Now, in my life in Las Cruces, which I've lived here many, many years, it was extremely cold one time in the early 1970s while I was going to college at New Mexico State University. It froze the gas pipes, and for some without any electric heaters, whoo, it burst a lot of water pipes. Now, then fast forward 40 years, and that same kind of creek, the, it, the, the freak cold snap, it happened in February of 2011, took the temperatures down to minus 10. It was minus 16 at the ranch up by Carrizozo. The power went off for many homes and businesses, and the plumbers were more busy than they ever worst wanted to be with the bur burst pipes uh, like it was back in 1971. More so, and more I think about it, it killed many trees and plants. A friend of mine had a gardening business, and he said that that's the year he regretted some of the trees that over many years he had planted. 
because the Mexican elder trees, they were wonderful, they grew great, they looked nice, but they did not tolerate the temperature falling. They weren't really good when it got real hot either, but boy, when it got really cold like that, most of them died. And since the power went off for many days in some of the areas of southern Mexico, it did push another industry that you'll actually see, the portable power machines that switch on or can be switched on when the power goes off. Now that business really took off. Michael Swigert here with Enchanting Stories of New Mexico, brought to you by the Fresh Chili Company. Hit subscribe if you want to get these automatically. In the last week or so, I've talked about in these podcasts, the gold mining in New Mexico. I was asked when the point was that it became more than someone just walking along, looking down, seeing something shiny and picking it up and putting it in their pocket. Well, now, in the western now United States, the first commercial mining, it was actually in New Mexico. It was in um, the Ortiz Mountains north of Santa Fe. Now, the Spanish started working these mines in 1821 to garner what is called placer gold. It's a different mining technique from hard rock in a shaft mining that gets veins of gold from a solid rock area. Placer mining is taking little bits of gold and sand and extracting it using some water. You've seen people panning for gold in cold streams of water. That's the simplest, not commercial, but simplest form of placer mining. The prospector pan takes a scoop of sand and gravel and swirls it around with water. The heavier gold goes to the bottom of the pan while everything else goes over the sign with the excess uh, water. Some people do so on the weekends as a recreational uh, thing to do. From what I saw, it provided the chance of gold and the guarantee of cold hands and feet and a nagging pain in the small of your back. That's what I saw with it. You can do it if you want to. So, all right. The underground mining operation of the Ortiz Mine, again, just north of Santa Fe, it opened in 1822 using slave labor. Within a couple of years, veins of golds were discovered and the mining operation concentrated on them. Now, this was technically the first load gold mine in the West, and it was at the Ortiz, which was a couple decades ahead of the California gold rush in 1848-1849. But what you must know about the Ortiz mining operation, it, there wasn't that much load gold that you, so you could hold nuggets in your hands, and there was lots and lots of plaster gold that took loads of work and technology to bring to market. That's what it was there. These mines in a general couple of mile locations were worked over the years, but they had the problem of low grade ore that wasn't as profitable unless the price of gold was up. If the price of gold was down, nobody wanted to spend the time, effort, and money to dig it out. Companies were starting for a while and then quitting following the First World War. So this went on for many, many years. Following the First World War, there was no investors interested and the Ortiz mines closed, solidly closed. Part of the problem was lack of easy-to-use water that didn't have to be piped a long distance into the area. Fast forward to 1973 and 
There was an open pit mining operation started using a leach method to get the gold out. Now, this is what I found interesting. A quarter million ounces of gold were extracted between 1973 and when the mine was closed in 1986. So 13 years, quarter million ounces of gold. And that was the end of the gold mining because of lawsuits and technical problems. The mining never restarted. Michael Swickard here with Enchanting Stories of New Mexico. Hit subscribe to automatically get these podcasts. Now I was talking about gold and have left out the effect of silver on New Mexico. Now, silver in the new part of the world, it started in 1546. It was recognized and discovered in the present-day city of Zacatecas. That's in Mexico. The rush was on and silver, not gold, was the main product of Mexico for many years. The most silver came from Peru, but Mexico was there also. About 70% of everything that they sent to the old world was silver, and it was sent to Spain and Portugal. What about New Mexico? Well, currently, as we're speaking, there are over 800 silver mine operations being noted. Uh, Silver isn't as fancy or even as much per ounce, but... uh, There is plenty to be mined out, and what's really the mining going on now is gypsum and clay, shale, bricks, crushed rock. That's the mining that we're really doing today that's worth something. Michael Swigert here with Enchanting Stories. Hit subscribe if you'd like to get these automatically. Speaking of New Mexico history, as I like to do, I was talking the other day about how New Mexico is a geographical attractor of people from other areas, especially those coming from what I call back east. Now, when New York Tribune editor Horace Greeley, you've probably heard about Horace Greeley, he wrote something in 1841 that resonated. His American dream statement was he saw the West, though he lived in New York and stayed in New York, but he saw going West as the land of opportunity for the young people and the unemployed. He galvanized going west with the statement that was repeated more times than we can count. He said, go west, young man, and grow up with the country. He was exactly correct. That brought a surge of new people out west, and often those people came to New Mexico. You should know this about New Mexico as a territory from 1850 to 1912. Yes, we were just a territory for 62 years. It was always a territorial government of outsiders in New Mexico during that period of time. The presidential appointment was of the governor. The president also appointed the attorney general, the U.S. marshal, the land commissioners, along with federal judges. They were all from somewhere else. And many, not all, but many were just counting the days until they could leave New Mexico. The only local representation the people of New Mexico had in those 62 years of being a U.S. territory was the territorial legislature. And there was a flood. I mean, you could have book after book about this. There was a flood of grafters and grifters and cheaters that came and went over the years. For one thing, we didn't have fingerprints and we didn't have the Internet. So who was that person who just said who they were? Yes, my name is and then there they went there was even a story of Wyatt Earp before his big gunfight in Tombstone do you know he was caught selling gold bars 
that weren't really gold bars. No, they were actually lead bars that had been painted with gold. <laughs> and since I was talking about silver just now being mined instead of gold, remember this about the movie Tombstone and the town Tombstone. It was entirely a silver operation. There was no gold there. So the political effect upon New Mexico of having this herd of people in and out of the leadership of New Mexico that didn't intend to come, didn't intend to stay, didn't intend their kids to be here, well, it fostered something, a political machine. It's known today and even back then as the Santa Fe Ring. Catron uh, County is named for the head at times of the Santa Fe Ring, Thomas Benton Catron who made sure every dollar, and I do mean every dollar, had a benefit for the politicians in Santa Fe <coughs> who were part of the Santa Fe ring. I'll write about him one of these days. He was even a U.S. senator, was a, a rather interesting fellow who knew how to get his hands into anything that was going to be profitable, made sure that he got his part of it. Now, I'd like to talk about one thing. It's nearly lunchtime for me, and what do I think about when it's lunchtime? I really appreciate the generations of farmers in Hatch, New Mexico, that have enabled these great crops of chili. Now, that's chili with an E. Yes, not chili with an I, not chili like it's cold in Minnesota. No, chili with an E to be a household taste, and it is in my house. While the Fresh Chili Company has lots of great tasting chili. I want to remind people that during these great days, uh, we're having a time when you can bring out your grill and do some grilling. It's not so hot out there. It's fine to do grilling, right? Now, what besides great things to grill do you really need to have a great meal? Why, there are seven, count them, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven bold and savory flavored rubs and seasonings to really pick up your grilling. You can start with steak and chop rub, and I've used it. It really adds a lot to the meat. Then there's sweet and spicy rub. Yeah, and again, there's all in all seven of them. Good seasonings and rubs, they're at the Fresh Chili Company website. That site is freshchilico.com. All right, freshchilico.com, run it all together no spaces, freshchilico.com. You can go there and you can get some great seasonings and rubs. One great thing that's about the Fresh Chili Company has freeze-dried hatch green chili in three, six, and 12 packs. I like freeze-dried because if you're out walking somewhere, you can take it with you. It's great to add to dips, sauces, and stews. It makes eggs to the max. Now, one thing that happens when people live in Las Cruces or in our little slice of paradise, they can come by the Fresh Chili Company gift shop. It's at 1160 El Paseo Road, Suite D7A in Las Cruces, open Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Come by, you'll see a lot of things to, that are good. There's a big sign over the entrance from El Paseo. Uh, if you look at the, the buildings to the east there, it's a big sign that says the Fresh Chili Company. This is Michael Swickard with Enchanting Stories of New Mexico, brought to you by the Fresh Chili Company. Thank you for your time today. We'll always have lots of news and stories about New Mexico on these podcasts. If you have something or someone you would like me to talk about, write to me, michael at freshchilico.com, michael at freshchilico.com. Have a great rest of your day. 
Oh, yes, and eat plenty of that good Hatch Valley chili. Like I always say, some chili's good, more is better, as long as it's Hatch Valley chili. Bye for now.